Oh God, we thank you for being a God who seeks and finds the lost. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Throughout Lent, in the Sunday readings, there is a common theme. We are dead, and God brings us into new and abundant life in Jesus Christ. And today, that theme is about as clear as it gets. In many ways, we experience death. Sometimes it is the death of a dream or an idea. Sometimes the end of a relationship. Sometimes physical or mental decline. Sometimes it is the physical death of a loved one or friend. A lot of these life-draining realities are the result of human sin, war, partisanship, greed, jealousy. But whatever the cause, the result is that we are often left wandering in the valley of the shadow of death. But there is a wideness in God's mercy like a wideness of the sea. God seeks out and finds the lost and brings us back into the grace of his love. Perhaps the best example of this saving grace is found in the parable we heard Jesus tell this morning in Luke. This parable has been called the greatest story ever told. And perhaps it is. This parable is a limitless well. I could preach on this text every Sunday for the rest of the year and still have plenty to say. For today, though, I want to just walk through this parable and notice the places where there is death and where God brings us into new life. Jesus opens with, there was a man who had two sons. Now, we might not hear that, but it is a hyperlink back to several stories in the Old Testament. Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau were all two sons. The trope was that the younger son would supplant the birth order and become the favored one. So Jesus' audience would have immediately identified with the younger son from this opening line. Now in Jesus' time, I don't think many people were wearing pearls when they heard this parable. But if they had been, they would be clutching them. Throughout this parable, we are to be shocked, even disgusted at times. The younger son, the one that we are all thinking, oh, that's us, goes to his father and says, give me the share of the property that belongs to me. You're supposed to gasp at that part. <laughs> None of the property belongs to the younger son because the father is still alive. Inheritances then have the same basic concept they do today, even if the legal mechanisms have changed a bit. You get an inheritance when someone dies, not before. This is the first time that we encounter death in the parable. And it's even clearer if we read what happened in the Greek of Luke's recording. When our translation says the father divided his property, it really says he divided his life. In that culture, your life could not be separated from your property. Your net assets were your land. 
Today, we buy and sell land all the time, but then land was ancestral. It was a part of your identity. And so to make good on the son's request, the father would have to sell some of the land, sell a part of himself, which is why that word life is so fitting, not to mention the pain of having his son leave. And this would have all happened out in the public. People would have said, why is he selling his land? Oh, didn't you hear that youngest son of his asked for the inheritance? Not only has this son essentially said, I want your stuff and not you, so make it like you're dead to me, but he's also brought shame on the whole family. Well, the younger son heads off. Now, what he thought he was going to do, we can't say for sure. Jesus doesn't tell us what his plans were. But he ended up in what is referred to as dissolute living. I'm not going to speculate on what exactly he spent the money on. We all have different vices. What seems reckless to one might seem like a decent investment to someone else. But whatever he was spending that money on, it was all about pleasure. Now, did the father know what was going to happen? Again, we can't say for sure, but parents know their children. The father likely had some intuition or fear about what his son would do with all of this money. But does that stop the father from giving him the money? No. Does he lecture him on how to use money wisely? Not that we know of. God will let us make mistakes. And just because we are doing something, it does not mean that is what God would have us to be doing. Imagine this son arriving in some new land with all this money. He was the big man on campus. I bet he felt like a million dollars. Just because we are at the top of our game, the top of our field, seemingly rich with resources, it does not mean that we are close to God. In fact, the son was as far from the father as he ever had been at this point. But from the outside, the son looked pretty good. It's a cautionary tale of equating worldly success with faithful living. Now, as the Beatles taught us, money can't buy me love, nor can money protect us from calamity. There was a famine in that land beyond the son's ability to control. Maybe he didn't really blow through all the money on vices. Maybe he did, we don't know. But something bigger than him happened, and there was no inheritance to fall back on. And so he got a job. Not just any job, though. He was feeding pigs. You're supposed to clutch your pearls at that point. <laughs> pigs are the most unclean animal there was to Jews at that time. Not only are pigs dirty, in all the normal ways, but they are unclean in religious ways. To even be associated with these animals was an absolute disgrace. But then the situation was so bad that this son starts to think that the food that he's feeding the pigs is starting to look pretty tasty. No one gave him any though. The farmer says, no, that food's not for you. It's for the pigs. Again, death creeps into this parable. 
The sun is as good as dead. Starving, reduced to the most demeaning and disgusting job imaginable, and out of options. And so he starts to think, you know, the servants back at daddy's estate have it a lot better than I do. What do I have to lose? Now it's telling that Luke does not use the word repent, regret, or feel sorry to describe what's going on in the son's thinking. As one scholar has put it, the son thinks, I'll go back to daddy and sound religious. So he comes up with a speech about how he has sinned against heaven and his father, and he's no longer worthy to be a son, but can he at least be a servant? And so he begins the journey home. The father never forgot about his son, though. As Luke tells us that when he was still far off, he saw him meaning that he was keeping an eye out for him. How long this had been going on, we don't know. But the father never stopped scanning the horizon. He never abandoned hope. Later in the parable, the father says, my son was dead. And yet, as we all know, love does not stop at the grave. The son might have been as good as dead, but he was never dead in his father's heart. There is nothing that we can ever do, ever think, ever neglect to do that could make God stop loving us. Maybe we haven't touched a Bible in a decade. Maybe we haven't been to church since before the pandemic began, given a dime to the church, or prayed in so long we can't even remember how the Lord's Prayer goes. Our faith might not have a pulse, And yet God never ceases to love us and to welcome us back into the arms of grace. The son begins his prepared remarks. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It's interesting that he says that he's not worthy to be called a son, and yet he addresses this person as his father. We might not deserve to be called God's children as much as we mess things up. But God is always our Father. And any time we call on the name of God, we will be welcomed by the love that created us, the mercy that saves us, and the peace that belongs to us. No matter how low you are, no matter the shame you have caused, no matter the pigs you've been hanging out with, you can always call on the name of God and find grace to help in the time of need. As the son is going through his speech, the father cuts him off. Quickly, get the best robe and a ring for his finger and shoes for his feet and slaughter the fatted calf. We're going to have a party they're going to be talking about for years. For my son was lost and now is found. The father has no need for apologies, no use for speeches, no prerequisites for reconciliation. It's a parable of grace through and through. Don't wait for the apology because it may never come. Don't wait until you can forgive because you may never be able to muster it. Don't fret about past wrongs because the past can never be changed. Instead, when there's a party, go. Don't worry about whether or not you're dressed for it whether or not you deserve it. 
Just enjoy it. Take advantage of the resurrection life that we have been given. This is what we do every Sunday. We gather to receive the mercy of God and be fed at the grandest banquet there is, the Eucharist. Maybe you haven't been to church since February 2020, maybe February 2010 for that matter. We don't care. We don't keep score and neither does God. But there is a fantastic party going on and it would be so much better with everyone here. Now I know you all who are physically here, I'm preaching to the choir, but I need you all to go out and invite others to this party. And if the parable ended here, it would just be lovely, wouldn't it? Have you ever felt like God owes you something? You come to church, you pray, you volunteer, you give generally, you're a nice person, and yet you still have struggles. You still know people who get cancer. You still don't seem to have it as good as people who are not as nice as you. Well, if you can call those feelings to mind, then we are ready for what happens next in the parable. The man had two sons, remember? Well, the older son, he smells the filet mignon and hears the laughter and the music coming from inside the house and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? Didn't you hear? Your brother came back and there's a party. Now at this point, the pearls are being clutched so hard they're about to be turned into diamonds. <laughs> you mean to tell me that, that no good son of yours gets a party? He says to his father. Now remember, the younger son already has his share of the inheritance, meaning that everything that remains ultimately will belong to the older son. So in some sense, it is his fatted calf that is being eaten. It is his money that is paying for those musicians. And to top it all off, no one even bothered to come and tell him about this party. We've all been left out before. It's no fun. If you are not offended, then you are not hearing this parable. And here is death one more time. It's now the oldest son who is lost, who is as good as dead in his anger. What the older son misses about this party is that it was never for the younger son. It was for the father. What we are celebrating is not that the younger son came home, but rather that the father's family has been restored. Maybe we don't like it that they, whoever they are, receive God's grace. Maybe we don't like it that those sorts of people are a part of God's beloved community. But let us not allow our hatred or our pettiness to keep us from God's party. One of the deaths that this parable shows us is the very much needed death of who we think God is. Well, God very much is concerned with justice. God has very little interest in fairness because God is a God of grace and mercy. None of us get what we deserve, and that is very good news. 
The father in this parable shatters the identity of both of his sons, along with the sense of what they deserved. The younger son thought that he did not deserve to be a son, and he would have settled to be a servant. The older son says that he felt like a servant and missed out on the fact that he was already a son, that everything that belonged to the father was his. But the father is not interested in duty or accountability, but rather mercy and joy. This is not a parable of deserving. It's a parable of rejoicing with a God who will go to any length, suffer any shame, and pay any price to have all of his beloved children at the banquet of his love. As all parables of grace do, this is a parable preparing us for the grace, love, and mercy of the cross. Ultimately, this is not a parable about us. It is not about us deciding if we are more like the younger or the older sibling. We are both. Instead, this is a parable about the love of the Father, who seeks out the lost, welcomes all, and invites us to join in his joy. At every moment of our lives, the table is set, the music is playing, and the Father is telling us to celebrate. Therefore, let us keep the feast. 